Adam Lyons says, I'm the luckiest man alive. This fellow is from London, England, but lives in Austin, Texas. But the reason he says he's the luckiest man alive, according to this New York, New York Post article, is not because he lives in the Great Republic of Texas, but because he shares his life with two girlfriends, Brooke Shedd and Jane Slovakia, both of whom, the article says, are bisexual. Lyons is the father of Shedd's two-year-old son, Dante, and is now expecting a baby boy with his other girlfriend, Shavokia. And the article goes on to talk about their relationship, and they have coined a word I've never heard of before. They are a thruple. Not a couple, but a thruple. The three share parenting duties as well as the same bed. They're quoted as saying in the article, for us... Three definitely works better than two. The article goes on and talks about how this could be the future of of relationships and parenting. And one day they hope that they all three can be legally married. In fact, even suggest that they would welcome a fourth partner into their lives. This thruple said, and I quote, three people and three parents just make so much sense to us. I'm sure to everyone in this room this morning, this sounds like one of the most bizarre things you've ever heard of. And maybe not just bizarre, but repugnant and repulsive. But as crazy as this sounds, this is the culture we're living in today. We are on a fast track to a total rejection of God's plan We began a couple weeks ago with a series that we're entitling Lies the Devil Tells Us. And in that first lesson, we introduced the fact that in Genesis 3, we see the devil come on the scene in the form of a serpent. And he lied to Eve when he told Eve that if you take the fruit that God said you will die, the devil said you will not surely die. And he lied. Fast forward to the days of Jesus in John 8 and verse 44. And Jesus identified the devil as a liar and the father of it. And then if you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian brethren about their virtue and their chastity and their morality, that they remain as a chaste virgin to Christ. But he said, I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And that fear the Apostle Paul had for the Corinthian brethren about their chastity is certainly a fear that we share today, that he corrupts our minds from the simplicity and the purity that is in Jesus Christ. So in the second series of this lesson, I'd like to talk about how the traditional family is outdated. That's what the devil says. The devil says to us today, to our culture today, to our society today, to America today and the world today, the nuclear family doesn't work anymore. A mom and a dad and a couple kids, that's old-fashioned. That's outdated. We live in a new age. That's what the devil is saying today. And So I want us to consider this topic and to talk about four ways, four lies that the devil is telling us today about the traditional family. 
Let me join with Tim in welcoming each one this morning. We have a number of guests, as he suggested, from a variety of different places. We're glad that you're with us. We trust that you have so far found our worship encouraging and uplifting, and even most of all, scriptural and one that honors God. And I hope as we think about this study for a little while, though there may be some aspects of it that are uncomfortable, it was uncomfortable for me to work on this lesson. And yet, I know it's one that our young people need to hear, and that all of us need to be reminded of, because we are living in a culture today that again is on a fast track to Sodom and Gomorrah of rejecting and throwing aside all moral restraints. And it is all around us. And we need to come back to what the Bible says and not listen to the lies of the devil. One of the first lies the devil gives us about the traditional family, the devil says marriage is just a social contract. That, that's all marriage is. And you hear the word. In fact, I've even heard some Christians talk about the marriage contract. And I suggest to you, if that's so then it is secular in nature. If marriage is just a contract, it's secular in nature. Now, contracts, social contracts, are based oftentimes on distrust. Then in other words, you drop a contract because you realize it's possible that someone is going to take advantage of you, and so you need protection. And so a contract is based on distrust. You know, I, I can remember the day when my dad did business with other farmers and growing up in central Indiana, and they just shook hands. Some of you are grinning because you remember that day too. And, and they would buy or sell a cow or engage in some kind of business, and they'd come and they'd just shake hands on it. You know, I, I, when it finally hit me how crazy our society become as far as legalities is when we had moved to Tampa a number of years ago, I that many years ago, and we had to rent a house for a couple of years before we bought a house. And my rental contract, the pages were longer than the first house I bought. And I told the lady at the real estate company, I said, when I bought a house the first time, I didn't have to sign as many pages. She said, well, that's just the way it is today. I mean, you're covering every end and out. of poss- What's it based on? Mistrust. And that's the way contracts are. It's based on limited liability restrictions and limits and and what you accept and what you endure and what you will bear and what you will put up with and also social contracts are based on feelings for instance in the sports world a football player doesn't feel good about their contract anymore and he hears about a player on another team that play in the same position maybe who's not even quite as good as he is whose statistics weren't as good he feels like he's not being respected, and so he's looking for a loophole to get out of his contract, and they usually find it, you see. Typically, a contract is basically just between two parties. Not only that, it's a contract that's controlled by the state. And if we look at marriage as something that is state-regulated, then laws can change, and marriage may change. Plus, we're influenced by what is going on in the culture around us and in society by what others are doing, and by what the state approves. And so there may be things today, like same-sex marriage, well, it's legal. In America today, I would have never thought that. When I first started preaching, had no earthly idea that would be the case. Never dreamed it. But if marriage is just a social contract, it's controlled by the state. Not only that, its, its terms are decided by man. 
It follows then if the source of the contract is human, it is man-made, and since man makes the laws, man can change the laws, thus the contract is dictated by man and by human terms. And if that's true of marriage, then man just decides what the term is going to be, and it's limited. Contracts typically have a time limit. They expire. They can be renewed or they, they can be renegotiated. And that's the way that people look at marriage today. They believed a lie of the devil. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here is the truth. The truth is that marriage is a covenant. This is a word that is oftentimes used in talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. But it's a word that's used about 300 times in the Bible. And the word really means a bond. A covenant refers to where two or more parties are bound together. And it has to do with an oath or a vow, or a solemn agreement. And the fact of the nature is that marriage is a covenant. In the last book of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, in Malachi chapter 2, Malachi there is lamenting the situation that God's people had gotten into in terms of marriage, and how they didn't respect anymore what God had said about marriage. And he says here in verse 14, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a covenant and so, therefore, marriage is sacred in nature. Marriage is based on trust. It is one in which, uh, it is one in which the parties come together in a true spiritual love. And love, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, always trust. It is based on unlimited responsibility. Because the marriage vows, covenant, say, in sickness, or in health, for better or for worse, until death do us part. It is unlimited in its nature because it's sacred. It's based on faith. Marriage is a covenant of faith. Faith in God, faith in your relationship, faith in your husband or your wife. But here's the kicker on this. It's different than a contract because it is a covenant between a man and a woman and God, you see, you've made a vow before God. You've pledged in a marriage ceremony that you will be faithful because of God. You pledged that before witnesses and before God. Now, when you make a vow to God, you need to keep that vow. The book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 or verses 4 or 5 says that when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. And so marriage is sacred in its nature. Not only that, it is a covenant because it is controlled by Scripture. Paul said that a husband is to love his wife in Ephesians 5 as Christ loved the church. Christ's love was a sacrificial love. It wasn't a selfish love. It wasn't for what he could get out of it, but it was what he could give. 
And so the love that we have in a marriage relationship is reciprocal. That a husband loves his wife. It says in Titus chapter 2 that older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. Of course, a part of our problem, a big part of our problem in our culture today is that we've just redefined love this. And, all the, and many times we look at love or culture looks at love as nothing more than just lust. And yet we know that love is an act of the will. It is a decision that we make. And that people say, well, I've fallen out of love. Well, it's because you're looking at love as a secondhand emotion. You're looking at love as something that is just fleeting that comes and it goes. You're not looking at it as something as an act of the will that you decide to love someone. God calls us to love one another. Husbands need to love their wives, and wives need to love their husbands. It's controlled by Scripture. Peter says that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, that's right, and that's true of marriage, and marriage is controlled by Scripture. It is a covenant because it's terms are decreed by God. It was God that joined the first pair. You notice each day of creation is kind of interesting. Day one, two, three, four, five. At the end of each day, what did God say? It is good. He looked on his creation and he said it is good. But on the sixth day, when God made man, he said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him or suitable for him. And We know the Genesis account that he put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib from his side, and made a woman and brought the woman to the man and joined the first pair together as husband and wife. Indeed, she is the wife of, our co- of a covenant with God. God decrees the terms. And it is a lifetime contract. She doesn't come, guys, with a limited warranty. <laughs> and neither does he. There's not an expiration date. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 6 that God had joined together a man and woman and let not man put asunder. Marriage is a lifetime contract. The devil lies about that. The devil just says that it's, that it's a contract. But the Bible teaches it's a covenant. A lifetime covenant. Well, there's a second lie the devil tells when he says to us the traditional family is outdated, he says, well, marriage can be dissolved for any reason. And that's what society tells us today, that there has become, in fact, a change in the marriage vows in many cases from as long as we both shall live to as long as we both shall love. Another one that you find is until our time together is over. Sharon Naylor, who is a New Jersey wedding specialist, an expert and author, so-called, in a book on special wedding vows, is in favor, she writes, of rephrasing the vows. She says, people understand that anything can happen in life and you don't make a promise you can't keep. That, that's the attitude today. Because, you know, she might put on some weight. Not be as pretty anymore. He might lose all of his hair. He might get a big belly. He might get sick. And so you can't, you can't deal with that. Or, or he might go bankrupt and you can't live a good lifestyle. 
And in that way, the people look at these sort of things in this culture today. And so whatever the reason is that, that anything can happen, she says, so you just don't make a promise you can't keep. And so you rephrase the vows. Well, here's what the truth of the matter is. The truth is God hates divorce. Back to Malachi chapter 2 and in verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates divorce. That divorce is never a good thing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, Therefore what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, I recognize that he made an exception, and our purpose of our lesson today is not to go into the exception that he gives there of sexual infidelity of a marriage partner. But even when you have a scriptural right to put away your partner for that, that's not a good thing that that happened. That God hates what caused that, even though there may be the right that is there. When you may, and then Matthew 19 teaches that when you marry a put away person, then you're guilty of adultery. Now, I know that's controversial in some circles. And it's complicated. We need charts and we need about 17 lessons to figure that out. Honestly, I'm a simple person. I just read that verse. You can read it for yourself. It says that. It's what it says. And when people try to come up with other things, I feel like they're trying to find loopholes. I feel like they're listening to a lie of the devil. They're trying to find some way out of what God has already decreed. Not popular, but it is true. And so don't listen to the lie of the devil that the family is outdated and you can dissolve marriage for just any old reason. Here's another lie. Marriage should be inclusive to embrace whoever you love. The devil's lied to us. The devil says that same-sex marriage is okay. And yet the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. That God took the rib out of Adam's side and he made a woman. A woman. And a man and wife are joined together. A man shall leave his father and mother, Genesis 2.18, and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Not same-sex marriage. And I tell you, I'm reading things all the time. Not, not just older people and our teenagers are being susceptible to that. There, there are some school systems where kindergarten children are given little books to try to teach them that this is okay. That Johnny has two daddies or two mommies. And to indoctrinate the children of these different kinds of lifestyles. And the marriage should be inclusive and we all not to discriminate because of who you choose to love. Well, the truth is that marriage indeed is between a man and a woman. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, he says the two, did you notice that a while ago, are one flesh. A thruple? I think not. Not a thruple. A couple who are a man and a woman. That's, that's what the Bible says. You know, I, when I was studying for this, I came across another article about a polyamorous relationship in which you have these people together. This woman, I think, has two guys. And she talks about 
that she defended the relationship and she said, and I quote, she felt God is blessing us. And she used words in the article the, from the interviewer like nice, perfect, healthy, and just right. Another woman who chose to remain anonymous considers herself married to both a man and a woman, although not legally, and she admitted, when I think about my relationship as a three, I mostly just feel incredibly lucky, like God is smiling at us. Could, could there be anything said hardly more blasphemous? I, I beg to differ. I don't believe God is smiling at that. I believe God is weeping at people that have so rejected His plan. The two are one flesh, not fleshes. But flesh, one flesh, the two, a man and a woman. So when the devil says a marriage should be inclusive, to embrace whoever it is that you love. The devil's land. Now the law of the land will say it doesn't make any difference. And you'll hear college professors talk it's okay. In fact, for those of us that are Christians, we're looked at as having some kind of a phobia of some kind of a prejudice that we're, that we're haters, that we're homophobic. No, we're just trying to follow God's plan. God's plan for marriage. And then the devil says you don't need to be married to enjoy a satisfying sexual relationship. You know, when I was working on this lesson, I, I just Googled, which is what you want to do when you find information out in the world, right? It's all there. Famous people that aren't married that live together. Well, there's tons. Uh, one that came to mind very quickly when I Googled that was Oprah Winfrey. And uh, she talks about Stedman, I think his name is. They've lived together, what, 25 years or 30 years or whatever it is. And Oprah, in an article, talks about what she would never want to be tied down to marriage. I, 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 don't, I can't wrap my mind around all of that. But Hugh Grant had a 13-year relationship with Elizabeth Hurley, and they have had a child with another woman from a brief affair. Winona Ryder's had a relationship with Johnny Depp, Matt Damon. Al Pacino has three children, but he's never been married. Cheryl Crow, multiple relationships including Lance Armstrong and Eric Clapton. Now, who are these people? And I could name tons more. There are people that sometimes that we look at in the world and we, we enjoy their movies or we enjoy their, their musical ability or we admire their, their athletic ability or all this sort of thing. And yet there are people that are worldly people that have no respect for God's marriage laws. No respect. And they have embraced a lie of the devil. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a sin to listen to their music or go see a movie someone's in. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that when this becomes so casual and so accepted and so popular, and we tend to look at these people and the world admires these people, that pretty soon, if we're not careful, we begin to think it's not all that bad. Reminds me of the words of Alexander Pope. This advice is a monster, frightful, main, but to be hated needs just to be seen. But seen too often familiar with her face, we first pity, then endure, then embrace. And isn't that true? 
We see things that shock us. The attitudes of people, the actions of people, the dress of people, the morality of people. This whole thing of same-sex marriage. And yet, you know, as time goes along, our children and grandchildren are going to grow up and that's going to be the norm of society, same-sex marriage. And it's not going to be shocking from a societal or cultural standpoint anymore because that's just the way it is. And they will have been indoctrinated from kindergarten on up that it's, the, it's okay if you choose that. And in fact, it's not okay to condemn that. And so we're going to have to probably teach on this a little bit more than we have in the past. But the devil says you don't need to be married to enjoy a satisfying sexual relationship. What is the truth? The sexual relationship is sanctified, but only in marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Young people, the Bible teaches that the sexual relationship between a man and woman is a beautiful thing, a holy thing, a sacred thing. It's a sanctified thing when you're married. When you're not married, the Bible calls it fornication. The Bible calls it a sin. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 or 19 to flee fornication, to run from How many people do you know that are running from fornication? Young people in your schools? Guys, how many guys do you know that are running from fornication? They're running away from it. Hey, when I was in high school back a few years ago in 19... The guys weren't running from it then. They were running toward it. They were running toward it. They're not running away from it. But the Bible teaches if you're going to be a Christian, to run from it. To run from it. To flee fornication. Because the Bible teaches it's a sin. And if you're a fornicator, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. But the devil says you don't need to be married. If you love each other, that's good enough. Or if you just want to enjoy being with each other, that's good enough. It doesn't make any difference. The devil's a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. He lied to Eve. He lied to Jesus in the wilderness. And he's still lying today. And he's trying to get you and I to believe this kind of foolishness. Lies the devil tells us. As I was looking over this lesson yesterday one more time, it occurred to me that I should have put one more lie but the sermon notes were submitted the bulletin was printed i didn't want to change my powerpoint it occurred to me there's another lie i doubt very seriously there would be anybody i'm going to go out on a limb and say 99.9 percent if not 100 percent of the people in the room agree with what i preached this morning i believe that's probably the case in this kind of an audience but you know, the devil is so subtle because he's got us all sitting here agreeing with that and how bad this is, how terrible society is. And so the devil says to you, just as long as you're married and you stay married to your husband and wife, that's all that matters. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to have a satisfying marital relationship. 
You don't have to honor God in your marriage. You don't have to fill 1 Corinthians 7. You don't have to be in subjection to your husband. You don't have to love your wife. Just be married. At least you're not like those whoremongers out there because you have a, you have a marriage, one man and one woman for life, and you're not getting divorced. The devil can deceive you to make you feel like, hey, I'm better than all those other people because we're still married. And I've known of Christians that fight like cats and dogs, that curse and swear, that won't give each other their conjugal due. If that out are unhappy, they come to church and they raise their voice and sing and pray, Participate in public. I've known some that were elders and deacons and preachers. A lot of them I've known in a past like that are divorced today. It's sad. But the devil will lie to us, brethren, and make us feel like we're better than those other people because at least we're married. And so I want to leave you with the truth. This is a whole sermon by itself in this point. But I'm going to leave you with the truth to think about and not be deceived by the devil. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen? And to believe and practice anything else. We need to get back to marriage God's way. I can't do a whole lot about the laws of the land, ladies and gentlemen. I can't do anything about the thruple down in Austin or the numbers of celebrities that want to live together outside the bonds of holy matrimony. But you know what I can do and what you can do? We can honor God's marriage laws and we can be a shining light to the world of what a good marriage, a godly marriage, a scriptural marriage is all about. We can be an example to our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and our work associates. 
not have people hear us complaining and grumbling and griping about our spouse. Speaking of them in some pejorative kind of a way. That is embarrassment not only to them and to us, but God Almighty who looks down upon us. Let's honor God as we honor our marriage Well, we haven't addressed what it means to become a Christian. Well, actually we have, haven't we? Because what it means to become a Christian is respecting God's word in everything, including marriage. If you're not a Christian this morning and through previous study know what it means to become a Christian through faith, repentance, or baptism, we'd love to help you in that regard. We'd love to help you and assist you in your salvation. If you've fallen away from the Lord, we'd love to have you come back and lift you in prayer and to help you in your Christian walk. You're dealing with some issues in your life and your marital relationship. I'm going to give you some advice. It's very succinct. Get help. Get help. Your marriage is too important, too sacred to play with it frivolously. Get help. And respect that relationship in which the two of you come together. May God bless us each to that end. We can serve you this morning. We invite you to come as we stand and close in prayer. <clears throat> Our gentle that we.